Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Matt, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I just loved being able to be here. My wife is Cassie right there, and she just led that last song, and man, what an incredible job our worship team did. What an incredible job. My wife, the boldness and the testimony that she had. We are one year later. It doesn't even feel like a year. It feels like yesterday that we lost our little girl, um, but God is good, and God has been faithful. Amen. All right, let's jump into this. Matthew chapter 17, uh, it says it like this. In verse 20, it says, this is Jesus talking, and he says, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I wanna read that one more time. He says, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and there will be nothing that's impossible for you. I talked about this in the first service, but in in the scope of a year that we've went through, and I'm not gonna just talk about that because my year, it may have been tough, but you may have had a way worse year, or maybe you've had an incredible year. But one of the things that I wanna always talk about in this verse is because we live in America, and because we live in this Western mindset that we have to see it and that we have to feel it to know that it's real, sometimes this verse, it's an encouraging verse, but it can get lost on us a little bit too. Because here's the deal, what we do is when we're about to go into this new business venture or when we're about to go into an open door that we believe that God's given us or we're at a fork in the road trying to figure out where we're supposed to go or maybe we have an issue in our life and we wanna figure out how to get past it. We, we go to this verse and say, well, God said that if I have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest thing in the world, if I have that type of, a, of faith, then maybe I can say to this mountain that it will move from here to there. And so we make our mountains tons of different things. Maybe it's a new job, maybe it's salary, maybe, maybe it's a relationship. We, we, we just talk about all the things and we, we look at it like this big open mountain in front of us. And, and I think there's room for that in our faith, that we should have that kind of faith that God can do anything. We should, we should have that faith, but for the majority of us, the majority of us in this room, our mountain is not gonna be moving from Oklahoma to some distant far off place. Our, our mountain probably is not gonna be, uh, hopefully it would be good for you, but you're probably not gonna hit the lottery, all right? You're probably, not gonna, you're probably not gonna do it. And if you do, just remember me, okay? That's all I ask. But you're probably not gonna have these big, amazing, like earth-shattering movements in your life for the most part, for most of us. For us, our mountains are sometimes our jealousy or our greed or our pride or our lust issues or our gossiping issues. For some of us, what we need to be praying to God about is that he would move those things inside of us. And can I be honest, sometimes those things are the biggest mountains in our life. And so in this verse, he says that you could speak into the mountain and say, you have to move from here to there. And I think probably the hardest part of this verse is the fact that it, it takes movement. You have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain from here to there. What is the mountain in your life? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I think the hardest part of all of this is just moving from here to there. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is how do we move from here to there? Because in this room, I know there are people who have, who have, have massive faith. 
And I know there are people in here who are just hanging on by a thread. And, and by the way, that's incredible because in, in the story of God, it doesn't really matter how big your faith is. He said if it's as small as a little big mustard seed, you can move a mountain with it. He gives you a very, a very plain open field that we all can fit into. But how do we move from here to there? Some of you are in a season of life where it just doesn't feel like it's ever ending or where it feels like everything is just going wrong, that you wanted good news and you got bad news, that you, that you wanted to move forward, but you're not there, that you, you've been waiting to be, like you, you're at that age where you thought you'd be married by now, but you're, but you're not there, or you thought you'd, you'd make it to this certain part of your salary and you're not there, or you thought your job would change and you're not there, and you're just trying to move from here to there. How do we get there? How do we do that? How do we, how do we make that work? I think in, in the last 20 years of me being a Christian, the things that I've learned the most are, it's just incremental small steps that we take in life. And we're not taking big leaping steps. Most of the time we're taking small little steps, but movement still matters. And so some of the hardest things in life are just moving from here to there. And that's what I wanna talk about with you guys here today. If you don't mind, I just need to pray. And, and then we can get after this. God, I love you, and Lord, I thank you for today. God, I pray today that your word would just resonate in our hearts. Not my words, but your words alone. God, I love you, and God, I thank you. And it's in your name I pray. And everybody said, so in, in Oklahoma, there are two great religions, two great religions that you're gonna see. You're, you're, you know that in Oklahoma, Christianity is, is the religion. It is the ultimate religion. It is, it's what we believe in. It's what we were just singing about. It's what we confess. But there's a second, maybe lesser religion, and it's this one right here. It's uh, college football, right? Um, for some of you guys, you know that college football is starting up pretty soon, like within a week, I think, that like you're excited about that. And, and I'm just gonna be honest, that, that's a great thing for you. I, I have no judgment on that at all. I hope, I hope that you love college football. I just think that sometimes we can get a little too obsessed with it, right? Like we can, have a, we can have a little bit too much passion towards it. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have passion. I love pro wrestling and I have a lot of passion for that. I'm, I'm not judging you, but, but like, can I be completely honest with you? I've been here for 10 years. We can gauge attendance on a Sunday by how the Cowboys do on a Saturday. Does that, 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 seems, that seems crazy, but we, we can look at that and see that. And what, what's insane to me is that I can get on Facebook and, and after OU or OSU does a, a good job, you see all the people posting about the coach, how incredible they are. You, you've seen this, you've probably done this. And, and, or, or afterwards, we, if they've done bad, we get on there, we post about the bad things, like Gundy's an idiot and, and all this stuff, and we, we just rail against these people like we know them, that we understand them, like Mike Gundy cares about what you say. Here's a spoiler alert, he don't care what you say at all. He ain't listening to you. He doesn't matter what you say to him, all right? Real fast, Mike Gundy has millions of dollars and you do not. And so he probably does, he probably doesn't necessarily care what you think about in your world. And so, um, and I know that if you were the coach of the OSU uh, football team, that they would go to all the nationals, they do everything, but you're not. And so one of the things that I was reading about in, in celebrity is the fact that we, we, we think about celebrities and, and celebrities actually, they, they have a member on their team, on their PR team, they have a member that they pay a salary to every year and the whole point of their job is to make that celebrity feel like your next door neighbor. The whole point of that is to make that celebrity feel like you can relate to them. Like their Instagram feed and, their, and on all their, all their uh, social media is built in such a way that you can feel like you know them kinda. Or that maybe you don't know them, but if you knew them, you guys would be best friends. And, and that's manipulation in a lot of different ways, right? 
But the idea behind that is that if we know them, if we feel personally connected to them, then we're more likely to buy things from them. That's, that's the idea that they're trying to get across, and that's why they sell their products to you the way that they do. Case in point, I met Garth Brooks at Olive Garden on my senior year of high school, and I still think we're best friends, right? Like, I feel like we, we I bought every, I don't even care about country music, and I bought every Garth Brooks album after that, right? Because we're best friends at this point. Like, if we know people, then, then we're more apt to trust them and care about what they think and what they're, what they're about. And so in my journey in the last 20 years as a Christian, moving sometimes from here to there to sometimes backwards and forwards, I've tried to learn a couple things. And I have this, this, this kind of um, tension that I wrestle with about God. Because in some capacities, God we, we see him as this almighty, all-creating figure that lives up in the heavens and that he controls everything with his hands and he holds everything in his, in, in his hands that he spoke things into creation. He spoke the water. He spoke the light. He spoke those things into creation. He didn't form them. He just said them and they were. And we have this God who, who looks at all of the world around us and even in the most remote parts of the universe or even the most remote parts of, of America or this world that there are fields of, of flowers that he handpicks and puts in those places. He is this ultimate God that right now in this room is watching how you breathe and is giving you every breath that you have. And it's this God that is set the process up and has not walked away from the process. He's actually intertwined in the middle of all the process. This major God that controls the lightning and sets the tides and puts the oceans where they need to go and puts the planets where they need to stay. This is this massive, huge God. And then there's this other part of me, this other tension of a God who knows me and who knows you. And that though he is incredible and though he is, is he's monumental and he's, he's majestic, he still knows your name. And there's a tension there, right? Because though I don't really know him, though I don't see him, the Bible says he's not far from any of us at all. That he's a friend that sticks closer than a, a brother. But I haven't met him, I haven't seen him. And there, there's a tension that I've wrestled with for years and years and years around this. And Mayor Mike Burge was in the service earlier, and one of the things he told me a long time ago was that his relationship with God is more like palling around with God, like just being good friends with God. And I'm gonna be honest, that's not my life. A lot of times I go to God and say, God, are you, are, like, hey, I, wanna, I need this. Can you help me here? Are, are you busy? Do you wanna talk to me? I know you got a lot of more important things going on in the world. Do you, you wanna talk to me? You're busy, right? I'll just step back, come find me when you get a chance, right? That, that's how my relationship with God has worked for many, many years of life. And if we're honest in this room, that's how some of your relationships with God is. Almighty and powerful, and yet almighty and personal. And there's a tension between those two. A God who sits in the thrones and yet resides in our hearts. There's a tension there. And I think that if you wanna move from here to there, you've gotta find out how to resolve that tension. Here's a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, God's a, a beautiful mystery. And we might not ever resolve that tension. But he gives us examples of how it can be. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna go to Genesis chapter two. We're just gonna read a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter two, uh, I think it's verse four, and it says like this. There, uh, these are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation, that at the time that the Lord God made the earth 
and the heavens. That phrase right there, Lord God, is an important phrase. In fact, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the, the opener of God's love story towards you and to me, he, he uses this phrase, Lord God, 22 different times. Outside of Genesis, he only uses it maybe one or two other times in the Old Testament. Lord God is a very important phrase. It's a very important thing that he's saying there, and, and there's a meaning behind that. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk through those phrases. The Lord and the God, because it perfectly encapsulates this all-powerful God and yet this personal God. Is everyone still with me today? And so we're gonna talk about the first one, it's the Lord. Lord is really this word, uh, it can be translated Yahweh, you can translate it a couple other ways, but, but Yahweh is really this phrase. If you have any kind of background in Jewish history or understand Jewish history, you would understand that this is a holy name, that this is a name that some people would not even utter because this is the proper name of who God is, or, or at least what they would think that God's name is. The phrase Yahweh, we can even say it as Jehovah. You might've heard it that way as well, but this is a God and this is what this name encapsulates. It encapsulates a God who is above you and yet knows you. A God who is above you and yet knows who you are. This is a God who understands the skeletons in your closet, who understands and knows the things that you've went through, who understands those days when you're sitting in your own bedroom and no one else is around and you're thinking those thoughts. This is the God who knows that, the God who understands your anxieties, your fears, and your depression. This is a God who understands what you are nervous about and then what you're prideful about. This is that God, a personal God who sees you and knows you. This is the God who understands every single hair on your head, though that's not hard for some of you, but he understands every hair on your head. This is the God who understands everything that you've ever said in your life. This is the God who determines day one and the end of your days. This is that God who knows you intimately, more than you even understand yourself. This is a God who is massively big and yet still knows you and then another one right there. We have the personal God, but then we have Elohim. It's Lord God, Elohim. And this is really kind of showing us the characteristic of God that is all powerful. Like I said earlier, the God who controls the universe that isn't out of step with what's going on, but he understands what's going on at all points. That he sits there and he watches the, the, the planets rotate and he's not devoid of any of the process, but he's intricately involved in the process. It's, it's that God. I was at Clyde Boyd this last week and I learned something. I haven't done that in a long time, but I was at Clyde Boyd and, and they were talking about that there are literally, there are ecosystems on earth that if you removed one little insect from it, that the whole thing would collapse around you. That's a God of detail and a God of order, right? That's who, that's who this God is. And so again, I wanna go back to the tension of this Yahweh personal God, this Elohim almighty God, and how does it work in our own hearts? How do we use that to move from here to there? Because if we're honest, how you understand God is really the vehicle in which it takes you from here to there. If God is nothing but a big God that's just waiting up there to squash you with his boot because you've sinned, then that's how you're gonna look at your life moving from here to there, if God is just a God who personally knows you but doesn't really have any power over you, then there's really no change in your life with him. You're just gonna move from here to there and have no real passion or heart behind it. You have to understand the characteristics of God. And for so many years of my life, I've struggled with how do I understand this God? And I hope that you struggle with that too. But I remember it was around last year actually, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 12, and it says that God rewards those who seek after him. And if you read what's seeking after him, there's actually kind of a wordplay that is being said there. It's saying God rewards those who involve him in their life is really what he's trying to get at. God rewards those 
who bring him into every moment of their life. Again, the tension of an almighty God that wants to sit in your Tuesdays and your Thursdays. There's a tension there, but he rewards those who involve him in every aspect of their life. And so I sit here and I'll be driving, and I know you might think this is crazy, but I'll be driving and I'll just start praying for the next thing coming up. I'll start praying for the people around me. Sometimes I'm praying that God would kill them, but I'm still praying that God would do something in their life. I'm just kidding, not really, I am not kidding. Uh, but that God would do something that I'm praying, that, that hey, can, can I just be honest? You have a God who's almighty, but knows you and loves you. That means that that God cares about the things that you care about. So let me just, let me help you out real fast because some of you guys have been guilted for years and saying, well, God doesn't care about OSU football. No, he does, he does. He, why? Because he cares about you. God doesn't care about what the Sandites do on a Friday night. No, he does, you know why? Because he cares about you. God, God doesn't care about what clothes I wear. No, no, he, he, he cares about you. He cares about you. This is the God. We can almost make him to this deity that's so far off that he doesn't care. No, no, he cares about you. Do you guys see that? You understand that, that, that there's a God who is not devoid or does have his hands away from you, but he's in the middle of your life and cares about your decision. And there's a tension that we have a God that we seek after, that we involve in our life, and yet he's so big. And so how do we, how do we reconcile this? Uh, here's how I try to do it. God does it in, in, in his word. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the Bible talks about two books that God's writing. Oh, we understand that he wrote the Bible, we get that. He wrote the Bible through the hands of men, but there's two books that God writes. And these two books encapsulate this tension that we all have to struggle with of an all-powerful God and an all-personal God. And I'm just gonna go over those books today with you. And if you don't mind, we're just gonna read through these and we're gonna talk about what they mean. And I hope that in some way this helps you move from here there. Here's the first book. Number one, it's the book of life. The book of life. All of us have probably heard of this one. This is probably the more popular one, the book of life. In Revelation chapter three, it says it, it says it like this. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This is the book of life. We go on to say in Revelation chapter 20, it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In our youth group, we've been talking about this thing that we, we've really had a series that we called the great exchange. That Christ on the cross, he took all of our sinfulness upon himself and he gave us all of his righteousness. Martin Luther, the old reformer, called it the great exchange, the beautiful exchange in life that he takes on all of our sinfulness and in part we take his righteousness on, his holiness on. This is what this verse is about, that when we give our life to Jesus, there's a book that God is writing and that he's already written and he takes his pen out and he writes down your name in that book. That if you've given your life to Christ, he writes your name in that book. And can I tell you some really, really easy, but really, really good news? He writes it in pen because he doesn't need an eraser. Because when you write your name in the book of life, when he he writes your name in the book of life. Your life is changed forever. There's never a part of your life where you turn around and say, well, I think he erased me out of this. I think my future's over. I don't think I have eternal life. No, when he writes your name in the book of life, he writes it in the color red. I think because he wants to symbolize the blood of his son Christ, that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how far you've fallen away from him, or no matter how far you've walked away from him, his blood covers it all, that your sins are forgiven freely. Future today, and in the past. That's our God on the cross that writes your name in a book of life. Here's the other thing about that. He knows your name. He knows your name. He understands you. 
He cares about what you care about. And so he takes your name and he writes it in there. Before the foundations of the world, Ephesians says, he knew you, he understood you. This should give us hope for those of us in this room that think that God would not love us or God can't care about us because of the things we've done in the past. The Bible just said that before you were even born, before you were even thought of, he knew you and he wrote your name in a book. This speaks to the foreknowledge of God, the divine foreknowledge of who he is, that he sees. God doesn't live in the timeline, right? God doesn't live on a Wednesday and a Thursday world. He lives outside of that timeline and he knows you and his blood covers it all. And that's what we celebrate, the goodness of a God who takes care of this. This this book of life also, though, speaks to the judgment of God and the wrath of God. On Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the wrath of God because it's easy to talk about the love of God, and we should talk about the love of God. It informs our life, but the wrath of God is just as important because God cannot let sin go unpunished. He will not let sin go unpunished, and so he put the punishment on his own son, the wrath of God put on his son that was made for you and I. And it talks about the judgment, but, but here's, here's, the, here's the hard part of the story. It does give you the option that if you don't have your name written in the book of life, if you reject Jesus, if you walk away from Jesus, if you don't care about Jesus, if you reject the Holy Spirit, then your name's not written in the book of life and that's a heavy price to pay. And that's not a fun price to pay. And I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm not telling you that to manipulate your emotions or your feelings. I'm telling you that because out of love, God has you here today. So you would hear that phrase, that you would understand that there's a book of life and if your name's not written in it, it needs to be. You weren't here because someone invited you here. You weren't here because you just got up one day and said, I'm gonna go to Hillspring Church. You weren't here because that. You're here because God wanted to remind you that there's a very real book of life that he's writing in and that he wants your name in it. And today is the day for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Wake up, oh sleeper, and let the light of Christ rise upon you. That's, that's what the scriptures tell us. And so in that vein, get your name written in the book of life. I'll say this a million times over. If he's not the Lord of all of your life, he's not the Lord of your life at all. And that's what we have to deal with in our own hearts. The book of life that he's written and is still writing in today. This, is, this invitation is open, it's open to you. Now, by the way, again, there's hope in the book of life because it tells us and it reminds us and we should be constantly reminded of the fact that this world is just not our home that we're not supposed to deal with what we've dealt with, that my wife isn't supposed to go through what she went through, that you weren't supposed to go through what you've gone through, that that sickness in your body wasn't ever intended for your life. That's not God's original design in the world, but there's coming a day where he comes and he takes everything away, that he, he makes all the sad things go away and he reforms this world into, his, into what he wanted it to be, that God will walk with his people once again. And it's that reminder that that journey, though, it may be hard. In the end, eternity is worthwhile. And that you have that option. You guys all feel good today? Let's go to the next one. This one's a little bit easier for us all. It's one that a lot of people don't know about as much, or they don't talk about as much. But the book, it's called the Book of Remembrance. The Book of Remembrance. I, I get into, when I'm writing sermons, sometimes I get into some weird spaces, Right? Like I start researching things and start looking at things and, and for like 20 minutes, I really super got into scrapbooking, okay? Like that was a, that was a, real, it was a real thing, okay? And, and I just wanna say, if you are a scrapbooker type person, um, then the last decade's been pretty tough on you. I, I, I get that and, I, and I, I hurt with you. I, I understand 
what you've been going through. I was just reading about the, the, the industry of scrapbooking, which I thought was stupid, but I was reading about it and going through it, realized that scrapbooking's really kind of taken a dive. Uh, camera phones, social media, all these kind of things have really kind of made that thing uh, something that it, it's not really useful anymore. Now, some of you guys, you're, like, you're super angry at me right now for even saying that, and I would just say, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, just do something else. But scrapbooking has really kind of taken a, a dive. And as I was reading about it, I, I started thinking about this book right here, The Book of Remembrance. And the only way I can really connect the dots here for me in my own life is that this is like almost like God's scrapbook that he's made himself. That God knows you, all-powerful. He knows you personally, all-knowing. And he's built this book around you. Your memories, the things that you've done. That there's no work that you've ever done that's in vain. That God sees it and he writes it down. That he understands what's going on in, the, in that world. Why does he do that, by the way? Number one, really because he can. Because he's God. He sees it all. He understands it all. But here's the second one. And I want to say this because I think sometimes we get lost in this. But the great, like, you might have came to Hillspring Church because you wanted to go deeper. You might have came to Hillspring Church because you wanted to, to learn, like, all the different uh, theologies of the atonement of Christ. And you might have came here to hear all that stuff and you wanted a really deep sermon. Here's the deepest truth that you could ever understand in all of the Bible and all of the world God loves you. You. It's easy to say that God loves us. We can all say that God loves us. Oh man, God loves us. But it's personalized when he says he loves me. That it means something else when he knows me and he understands me and he knows my sinfulness. And the greatest truth in your life is that God loves you and that he remembers you and that he keeps track of the things that you've went through. He, he, he keeps a book written after your life. Think about the story of Job and all the bad things that Job had to go through. God has memories of that and he wrote those things down because those things weren't done in vain. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter three, verse 16, it says like this, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. This is an image of a group of people, of a church, of small groups. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and he heard that the Lord listened into it and he heard what was going on. A scroll of remembrance was written and in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Simply put, I think the message translation says it like this, that, that they were sitting in a room talking about God and God came in the room and he started taking minutes of the meeting. This is our God that controls the universe and yet sits in the meetings of your small groups and listens in, he listens in and takes meetings and take minutes of that meeting because he cares about you, because he wants to hear your voice, because he understands that though we don't see it in full, that one day we will. And so he wants to get prepared for what's going on in the world around us. This is our, this is our God. And I love this verse in Malachi because really what's happening in the context of this verse is that the Israelite people, God's people, they were being beaten down and persecuted and taken away into captivity. And they were being taken through persecution. And it says that a few of them got back together still. And they started talking about the Bible. And they started talking about God. Don't let the culture of the world around you convince you that Christianity is on decline. 
Don't let the world around you convince you that the church has seen its better days in the past, that the Billy Grahams and all those people in the past, that they'll never be anything like that. This verse reminds us that God will always take care of his church, that though the very gates of hell may come against it, that he will, he will push them forward, that though the Satan might come against it with all of his armies, it'll never overcome the church, that the God of our Bible will move his people forward, that there will always be a remnant of God's people. That's what it's about. And he says that there's this remnant of people and they come together and they talk about God and they talk about his goodness and they talk about his fruitfulness and they talk about the struggles in their life and they talk about well, the days that used to be, but they believe in hope of the days that could come. This is God's moment with his people listening in, writing out of this book, the memories that you've done. I love the verse in Psalm 139, verse 16. He says like this, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All of my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them even began. Can I give you some hope today too? Whatever you're going through right now, God knows. God knows. God knows the end of that story too. And if you love Jesus, the end of your story is a glorious thing. If you love Jesus, the Bible tells us that you'll never taste death. That if you love Jesus, we get to really celebrate that verse that says, oh death, where is your sting? I'm, I'm sitting here today, one year away from my little girl going into heaven and death hurts and it's not easy, but I have an eternal hope that this world isn't my own and that one day Cassie and I get to walk into heaven and then we get to go find that little girl and we get to talk to her and we get to know her for all of eternity. That he knew what was gonna happen in her life. How does that make sense? I don't know, but he understood her and he knew her. worst day of our life was written in that book. And he knows. He understands. And he sees through it. And he sees the end. The devil doesn't write your story anymore. If you love Jesus, he doesn't write your story anymore. Right? It's God, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Is everyone still with me right now? Do you guys understand the fact that your hope is not found in a political system? Your hope isn't found in Washington, D.C.? Your hope isn't found in Sand Springs? Your hope isn't found in Mike Gundy or the OSU Cowboys? Do you understand that your hope is found in a king and a kingdom that one day is going to return for his church, the bride of Christ, and bring them back to where they're supposed to be? This earth is not it. Give God just a little bit of praise for that moment that we have a God that is not devoid of his creation that sits there in the middle. He keeps going and he says, Psalm 56 verse eight says, you've kept track of my every toss and turn. I turn through every sleepless night. Each tear entered into your ledger, each egg written into your book. Why does God have a bottle full of tears? Because there's a hope that he'll restore what was taken from you. And there's a hope that every scar will be made for your good. That every hurt, every sleepless night, every tossing and turning, though we might not feel it right now, he'll bring it in for our good. God's holding on to your tears because he loves you. Because every tear and every scar has a purpose. God has his finger on the scars in your life. He hasn't given up on you. 
and he's not done with you in this. He remembers. Look right here, he remembers. He remembers, he sees it, he understands it. What you've went through was not in vain. He sees it, he understands it. What you're going through is not in vain. He sees it and he understands it and it's frustrating today, but it's not over today. Let's keep going. So I don't really have any good answers for you today. I just wanna talk about the characteristics of God. But can I just ask you to do this? How do we move from here to there? All I got here is just keep getting up. Keep moving. My wife and I will never move on, but we can move forward. And those are two different things. Keep getting up. Keep going. Proverbs 24 says it like this, though a righteous person may fall seven times, he will get back up. I love this verse because when Solomon's writing this verse, he says a righteous person may fall. And the idea there in the Old Testament was that you were made righteous through the things that you did for God. You were made righteous through the Old Testament sacrificial system. But in the New Testament, we have the idea that our righteousness is not based off of the things that we do. Our righteousness is based on what Jesus did on the cross. And because he died on the cross for us and that he considers us righteous, though we might fall, we can get back up. Hill Spring. I don't know what season of life you're in, but I just remind you, you can get back up. The Bible tells us in Lamentations that the mercies of the Lord are new every single morning. That as surely as you lay your head down to sleep at night, the sun's still gonna come up the next day. And when the sun comes up, his mercies are still new for you. Maybe today, maybe even right now at 12.09, the mercies have already ran out. Go home and take a nap because the mercies are coming back because they're new every single morning. They're new every single day. Just as surely as the sun rises, as surely as you can get right back up every single day of your life. It was a year ago, I didn't know if I could get up. It was a year ago that I didn't know if I could make it through this. It was a year ago that I didn't, I didn't know what was gonna happen. It was a year ago that I didn't know what God was doing and I still don't know what God's doing. But, but it was a year ago that I could sit there and realize that even though I don't understand it, he has a plan and a purpose and I've gotta still get back up. And some of you have had the worst year of your life. You went through some trauma in your life or you went through some tough stuff over the last decade and all I can do is encourage you to get back Get back up. I didn't think I'd be here today, but I'm here and so are you. Don't sit in it, get back up. Hope is not in your circumstances. Hope is not in anything else but the finished work of Christ on the cross. Don't let the devil make you believe that what you're going through is because only of you. You might have a part to play but Jesus can make it all good. Hillspring, can I tell you? I love you with all my heart. It's been the worst year of my life. I feel like part of me died. But I commit, and my commitment to you is that my wife and I will keep getting back up. And I hope that you would too. We need each other. Friends become family at the cross. God, I love you, and Lord, I thank you for today. I don't even know what to pray, Jesus. Maybe I just pray that you would help us stand up. Help us 
to just make it one more hour. Lord willing, if you come back, that we can see what you've done. God, thank you that there's books that you've written, you've wrote for us. Remind us that you care. God, I would just pray and I trust in front of my friends and my family. I just, again, like every single day, I trust that you know what you're doing. And though I don't have a little girl in my hands today, that God, you have her in your arms. Though I don't understand it right now. I fully submit and know that you're good. I know what the devil has taken. He'll restore to me. To my wife. And to anyone in this church that's hurting. God, I love you. And Lord, I thank you. It's in your name I pray. Everyone's head bowed. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.